the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's the truth for the win. God, oh! they did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by BetMGM. This is your weekend college basketball betting preview. I'm Stucky. Joining me, as always, Mike Calabrese and BJ Cunningham. Gentlemen, got a lot to get to today. We are in. It is very bizarre to me that it's like March is right around the corner because the Super Bowl just happened, but the Super Bowl is pushed back. And then it's like, wait, March, March is in two weeks? Insane. BJ, I'll throw it to you. How are things? Things are good, but not only that stuck is when we go to the 12-team college football playoff, we're pushing back that national championship even more. So the the fall going all the way into March Madness is all just going to get scrunched together going forward and just never going to end, which is great. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, like like you said, things are good. I mean, you know, we just talked on Tuesday, obviously. Alabama went down to Tennessee. Tennessee's back, right? They're they're one of the national title contenders after a a poor shooting performance from Alabama, but no, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's getting very, very interesting as we go down the stretch here. And there really hasn't been a team that's pulled away to show us that they're one of the best in the country and being deserving of being a favorite uh, to win the national title. Well, and not only that, the, we have college football, if the college football playoff, when that expands, then the NCAA tournament, with you're talking about that expanding to ninety, right? What, what, I think. What, yeah. What is, what is that? Is that going to start now, like March eighth? Uh, it's the entire month. I am vehemently against the expansion. I agree. The I'm pro college football expansion. Um, I don't want the month long break. Um, I know I was all about eight teams. That was my ideal. But I, I don't. We don't need ninety teams in the tournament. We're we're going to struggle to get sixty eight this year. Mike, are you pro or anti-tournament expansion? I'm anti-tournament expansion for any college sport at this point. Um, I've never finished a college football season. I thought to myself, boy, that team that finished 11th in the AP poll, they were the best team in the country. Never crossed my mind, not a single time. Yeah, um, I don't care about that. I care about just more games to bet on, and then I don't. we don't have to go a month. Like The, the worst part to me is that the, the best teams, there's a 30 days before they play from the last time to the next. And then like the conference championship weekend doesn't mean as much. So like, give me some more games about on less of a break, more important conference championship. George is probably still going to win it all, but I'm cool with that. The, the NCAA tournament, like there's zero, these, there's no team that's going to come. We already have enough games. There's all, there's tons of games every day leading up to the tournament. Like I, there, this is, this is dumb. But stuck, stuck. Wait, think about it. Instead of the two weeks of March Madness, he get the three weeks instead. I mean, think about how many more games you can bet on. I mean, I don't know about you, but Little Rock versus you but know those o- games Oakland still, those games would be a great still game. We we, those games still and, and by the way, to expand it to the college football portion of your conversation, like we still have the Myrtle Beach Bowl. We still have you know the Heart at Texas Bowl. Like there's all these games to be bet on just because they're not a part of the playoff. Like. I'm probably the biggest advocate of all those minor bowl games and the games that only matter to the six and six Mac team. So I've never felt like the month of December that I'm deprived of betting on football when you add in the NFL as well. 
I just I just know what it's going to do to the college football regular season, which is a game like Alabama, Tennessee from this fall, which the stakes couldn't have been higher for Tennessee. I know in the end it shook out. It didn't matter because, you know, Hendon Hooker got hurt. But like a game like that felt as though the stakes couldn't have been higher and perhaps Alabama had played their way out of the playoff. We're going to lose all those meaningful regular season games and end up just like the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball, where it's like, oh, you lost a regular season game. That sucks. OK, wake me up in the playoffs when everyone like starts to play harder or gets healthy at the right time. So we don't have to hijack this whole conversation, but it's it's total crap. They try to fix something that wasn't broken. College football playoff had been working great. They've been different champions, first time entrants, group of five teams like it was actually playing out the way that I thought it should play out. And the best team nine times out of 10 was winning the national championship. So why go ahead and, and ruin all that other than make more money? All right. Well, let's, we already started the rants off. So let's get into the week that was, uh, and maybe continue over this rants before we'll get to Friday night lights. We'll get to our favorite Saturday spots. Talk a little biggies buy sell, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, actually, and we got to do our futures. We'll add a futures to the portfolio um, we'll do that shortly. Rant of the week for me. Uh, I'm going to rant about the refs in Indiana. Uh, refs again, Indiana Northwestern. You miss a clear travel. You give four technicals to Northwestern, which obviously ends up being the difference in the game. But more than I, my real rant, that, so that made me angry. But um, my real rant is Eric Musselman. Uh, Arkansas melted down at the end. Whatever that happens all the time. But um, I have so I have Arkansas plus three and a half and four, and they're up like eleven, I think, at the half. And they don't play Nick Smith Jr. the entire second half. This is like to the end of the game. They ask him. So I figured he was hurt. He was in, he was in his uh, warmups the entire second half. So I figured he was hurt. He wasn't even ready to go in. Must at the end of the game says they were asked why he didn't put him in. He said we were trying to win a game we needed. Well, how about putting the lottery pick in instead of playing running your guys ragged? You got a top five pick. Maybe put him in the game. I know he hasn't been playing great, but you got to get him first. You got to get him. adjusted he's got there's gonna be rust he's got to assimilate him back in the lineup but in order to do that you gotta actually play him like unbelievable um i'm so glad we didn't add that arkansas future to our portfolio um but clear takeaway is that there's no there's no clear elite team it's the most number one is most losses by number one team since the 1948-49 season wow with alabama going back down and we are still in february Mike, uh, you were fired up for the college football playoffs. You had any, any key takeaways? Anything you're fired up about today? Maybe the Mountain West isn't as good as we thought they were. Uh, I, I mean, I, I still like the conference. Um, the fact that New Mexico got absolutely pile driven by Wyoming. House House didn't play, to be fair, but yeah, sure. Still, but it's, it's Wyoming. They're playing with yeah. like six guys who are essentially yep. team managers on their roster. Uh, Maldonado played well, but like to lose by double digits at the pit. Oh, I mean, if there was a they're way for a favor me, not to make it now. Yeah, exactly. Now they now they're in trouble. They're probably less than a 50-50 shot as an at-large bid. So unless they make a run to the Mountain West Conference Tournament Championship game, I don't think they're going to get in, um, which is disappointing because there's a lot to like with them. And I know that they had suffered through some overtime games. And it looked like maybe they were ready to turn the corner. But that, that's one of those head-scratching losses that I wouldn't blame the committee to say, okay, it's 50-50 with a power conference team for one of the last at-large bids. Like, this loss is so horrific that we're going to hold it against you. So that one hurt. Also, Butler not covering by a point against Nova. That one, not great. They had some chances in the final minute to, to cover the number. So 
I'm just, you know, running a little cold right now, but that's the way the college hoops goes. You know, you're going to be on the the wrong side of some of those double digit spreads where he needs somebody to can a three at the end and it just doesn't happen. Um, I will get into my Friday and Saturday plays. I'm feeling much more bullish on those. So not a lot of negativity to bring to the podcast right now. And I agree with you. This is, like I said, a couple of podcasts ago, this is essentially lining up to be the 2007 college football season, but for college hoops, like anyone yeah. who is a top five team has proven multiple times that they can't be trusted. So at this point, will anyone emerge in that like 15 to 25 range of the AP poll to say like, if everything goes right, we're going to win the national championship. Cause I don't even feel good about that group either. It's not like there's a lot of could be, should be teams that are going to break through. So it's going to make the debates really interesting leading up to selection Sunday. Yep. Uh, BJ, any key takeaways and then anything to write about? Yeah. I mean, mine's just more of a rant. The key takeaway is obviously that there just is no good team in college basketball. And also people out there just don't be fooled by what Tennessee did uh, against Alabama. Yeah. It was impressive. Yeah. They turned them over a bunch. Yeah. They defended the rim very well, but I mean, what you watch going forward with Tennessee will have another poor shooting performance and they'll shoot themselves right out of the national title hunt. Yeah. It was a great um, spot for a great spot for Tennessee. Yeah, it was a great spot. It was, it was a good win for them. They're a good, um, they're a good team. They are. They're a good team. They're just not a national title yeah. contender yeah. really. Um, I have a couple rants. Uh, number one, uh, I would love to got the memo that Florida state had quit on the season, uh, cause Oof. they got blown out by Clemson. And also, I, and this is just something college sports in general, it's kind of just the nature of, of the beast, but the, the late announcement of injuries for teams, best players are driving me absolutely nuts. Like Matthew Cleveland was out for Florida state. It's like, okay, it would have been nice to know that before betting him. And then Fresno state, I just took them on the money line, you know, last night just for fun at the end. You know, I saw you got your arm stuck. So I was like, okay, I'll just throw a little bit on their money line. They announced Isaiah Moore, their best players out right before the game. And then down the stretch, they just, oh my gosh, it was so painful to watch them try to shoot the ball. They went two of 25 from beyond the arc. They still only lost by two to San Diego State, who, you know, like you mentioned, Matt Bradley about shot them out of the game, but... They had yeah. a three to... The President State had, had one a, final, had a ton of one final they, three to... One final three to miss at the end to win it. And that missed too. They um, went up 41-40 and they had so many opportunities to just make a freaking shot to win the game because San Diego State just kept missing shots as well and missing free throws. So yeah, that was just frustrating. But yeah, I mean, that's just the nature of, of college sports in general. It's like, it's it's why I get nervous betting like really small school games because you just have no idea with the injury issues and you just never get any news from them as well. So late announcements of injuries are one that just drive me insane uh but that's part of the game i've been pissed but with uh mike miles I, I thought he really thought he was gonna play he was practicing and then he got announced out and then i knew my ticket was obviously dead um last night against iowa state all right let's move on to friday night why let football have all the fun let's bet friday night lights I actually have nothing circled, and I'm going to give you a little, a little, a little cheat code in degeneracy. So Friday nights, like college basketball card, is usually, usually pretty poor. So if you're, no, I think it's like 20 years. It's always been this way. They've been a little. There've been a couple more bigger games on Friday nights at times, but they've always been bad cards. So like, if you had a girlfriend or now my wife, that's always when I was like, hey, you want to do something? You always have to make sure you do it on Friday night. So I was away in Cleveland, and then it's like, you know, we got back for, well, it's kind of busy for Valentine's Day, and I was like, you know, let's not deal with all the crowds for Valentine's let's, let's go out to dinner on Friday night, and nice, we'll, we'll, we'll hang out. And so, yeah, Friday night is Valentine's Day. Um, 
And that's how it should be. It should be every Friday night, um, a Friday night in February. So I have nothing circled. If there's an egregious number that's off, I will bet it and watch. It's a horrible card. Um, I was digging and digging, and I just – I lines just came out. Let's see. As you guys are talking, maybe I'll see a line that looks off to me. Mike, I'll throw it to you. What do you got for Friday night? Well, I'm just going to tell the wife, hey, would you like to watch a high-scoring Horizon League basketball game? Because I sure would. Uh, how romantic. Over 148 and a half, right? State, Cleveland State. Their first meeting, 162 points for the total. The Raiders are red hot. They've won five of six. Trey Calvin is an absolute gunner. So he's going to get the green light, maybe take 30 shots in this game. The Raiders are 20th in points per game, 279th in points per game allowed. Their seventh nationally in shooting percentage. 243rd in two-point percentage defense, and they're going to play fast. They, they're 14th in possessions per game. Um, but as I dig deeper, because this was the only one I agree with you, it was a really thin slate. As I dug deeper into this, you start to look at these two teams in Horizon League play when you put together their performance against the closing total, 23-9 and nine to the over. That's 72%. Cleveland State was happy to get sped up in their first meeting. They're they're not a very you know fast team in terms of tempo, but they went ahead and played at Wright State's preferred tempo. They got four scores to go for double digits per game. They have a seven-man rotation. I really like this about Cleveland State and potentially for them to win the Horizon League tournament. They have a seven-man rotation that's played every game together this year. So that kind of continuity and also sharing the basketball, I think, really um, ends up playing in their favor. And then finally, like I said, 72% between the two of them to go to the over, and they've done it drastically. Wright State's gone over the closing total in Horizon League play by over 10 points per game. Cleveland State at 9.8 points per game. That's both top 15 in the country in conference play um, as it relates to total. So why not have some fun if you're going to watch a game? I believe this one's on ESPNU. Go for a game that – well, the final thing I'll say – Interestingly, in a lot of Horizon League games, I ended up benefiting from this, I want to say, last week in the Youngstown State game. They can have slow starts, and then these teams can score 100 points in the second half, no problem. So at no point do I think this total will be dead, even if it gets off to a slow start out of the gates. So I'm going to go over the Raiders and the Vikings here. Did you say it was it was on uh, ESPNU? I believe so. I think it's, it was one right, of those so on can, the ticker, like ESPN Plus slash ESPNU. All right, so if that's the case, yeah, it looks like it is. So you can have uh, some rose petals, get the rose petals out and sprinkle them from the front door all the way to your TV and have ESPN you on. And then at, you know, 658, take your wife or significant other to the front door and guide her to the TV and watch uh, a little Horizon League action. I can't think of a more romantic way to spend an evening. BJ, do you, can you top that? Any date can, ideas here? I can make the evening a little more romantic. Stucky okay. is maybe branch off a little bit of those rose petals and lead it to your laptop or your <laughs> iPad and fire up ESPN plus and turn on maybe, another maybe get the fireplace too going maybe get the fireplace more, going yeah. and turn on another Horizon League game. How about Detroit and Oakland? I like Oakland plus one at home. Uh, they beat Detroit in the previous meeting. They did it without their starting shooting guard Blake Lampman, who's their main three point shooter. And the reason Oakland won that game because they went to the free throw line 29 times, which really isn't surprising because they're the number one team in the Horizon League at free throw rate. But they're also the number one team in the Horizon and free throw rate allowed, which is huge against Detroit, who is shooting close to 80% from the charity strike and conference play. And Detroit is the number one frequency team in the country in terms of isolation sets. Oakland's very good at defending them. They're top 60 in points per possession allowed. Oakland is also allowing under 33% from beyond the arc in conference play, which is huge against Detroit 
who's a top 10 team in the country in three-point field goal percentage. And in the last minute, he held them just eight of 26 from beyond the arc. In Detroit, they're 357th in the country in terms of their percentage of points coming from two-point made field goals. So if you can keep them off the free throw line, and you can defend the three-point line pretty well, which two are things two things Oakland is very capable of doing, you should be able to hold them in check. And if you look at Detroit, they've only won three games in conference play away from home. One of them was on December 1st against Purdue Fort Wayne, and the other two came against IUPUI and Green Bay, who are two of the worst teams in the entire country. So Oakland plus one at home to add on to just a wonderful Friday night uh, of Valentine's Day with your significant other. What are your thoughts on playing the alternate line there? Because Detroit, to me, is a boomer bust team because of exactly how you laid it out. Like, if they make 12 or 13 three-pointers, they'll win this game outright, but they'll shoot their way right out of the gym and lose by 15 if if it's not flowing, particularly with, you know, Davis leading the way, bombing away from three. Don't hit it at all, Mike. Yeah. I mean, what I mean, what better way to spend Valentine's Day with uh, an Oakland alt line uh, watching ESPN <laughs> Plus along with uh, the other Horizon League game? Can't think of a better way to spend Valentine's Day. Take your relationships to the to next a level new horizon. No, to a new oh, horizon. Oh, this sounds like an ad read, Stucky. You know, <laughs> don't waste this for free. If you're good at something, never do it for free. Uh, all right. Yeah, no, no lines look uh off for me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna sprinkle. I'm gonna sprinkle some uh horizon league action and follow you guys uh on Friday night. As a reminder, before we go any further, college basketball season is in full swing. So get in on the action with the king of sports books. Sign up with BetMGM using bonus code ACTION and receive first bet insurance up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. Must be 21 or older to wager. 19 or older in Ontario. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, D.C., Kansas, Louisiana. Nevada, Wyoming, or Virginia, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York, call or text the Tennessee Red Line at 1-800-889-9789 or call 1-888-777-9696 in Mississippi. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. All right, before we get to Saturday, kind of go around the horn and we'll also talk a little Big East. Let's get to our futures portfolio. All right, we have as of right now, we have TCU, which I'm I'm you know Mike Miles is practicing. I'm still comfortable with. They're comfortably in the tournament. Um, we have UConn, which I think has looked a little, which has looked they've looked better. I think Caravan's figuring it out defensively. Very comfortable with them and and the price we have there. Marquette is sort of a, a longer shot. I'm a little worried about their rim defense, but it's just a team. They're well coached. They have a lot of yeah. You know, they they just they don't are too reliant on one guy. They find ways. I think that they can make some noise. And then we have Indiana at a really good price of 50 to one, which I love. And I think that they're a top 10 to 15 team and they still are going to get some guys back. 
before we get to March. So I really like what we've done so far. Obviously, it's gonna there's gonna be some luck involved, and hopefully, we have one of these teams left standing when it's all said and done. So for this week, let's see who we are bringing to the table. If you're new to the show, we each bring one future, make our case, and then all three of us vote for one that's not ours. And if it's tied, if we haven't had a tie yet, then I would break the tie. Mike, let me go to you. Which future are you bringing to the table this week? The like 30 to 80 to one neighborhood to win the national title is not a neighborhood that I like to hang out in. Just the teams as I'm scrolling through, I'm just like, nope. Nope, don't trust him to win two games in a row, let alone six away from home. So I think finally, because the market's kind of settled in, this is the best price you're going to get him at for the rest of the season. I'm I'm on St. Mary's at 40 to one at this point, really because I'm looking at the way that March Madness games can play out the half court grinders. They can win those low scoring games without playing their best offense. You know, they're fourth nationally in scoring defense at 58.5 points per game. They make it really difficult to share the basketball. They're second in terms of defense, allowing assist to made basket ratio. And then from a pace perspective as well, it's not quite as drastic as facing a triple option team in college football, but by playing a lot slower, I think they're going to take some teams if they get the right matchups out of their comfort level, out of their running game, reduce those transition points so at 40 to one, I, I'm really interested. We talk about this a lot in terms of Ken Palm, when you add up their offensive and defensive efficiency ratings, Ken Palm has them seventh nationally right now, overall 32nd on offense. And I still think they can play better on that side of the ball. And then finally on defense, they're all the way up to fifth. So have they you know, done it against quality opponents? They they were able to slay Gonzaga this year and, and do it in a game that you know required them to go to overtime. But in general, they forced a Gonzaga team that wanted to play quickly down to their level to play slow, play at that snail's pace. So I'm on the Gales here. I think 40 to 1 is the best value on the board when you look at those 30 to 80 you know, to 1 teams that I was discussing. Because um, a lot of these teams are just power conference teams that are deeply flawed or haven't put it together even for three games in a row, where at least St. Mary's, I understand it's it's still a mid-major conference. They've been able to do it over the long haul. So I'm on the Gales here. What are your thoughts? I will share my thoughts once BJ yeah. mentions his, because it might, might end up grouping it. I, did, I just recently did a piece on futures and the teams that I think could win it all. So let me see if BJ mentions one of these teams. BJ, what do you bring him? I'm going to bring Illinois at 50 to 1. Uh, they've gone through a lot of rough stretches this season. They haven't performed well on the road, but they have shown some flashes of being an elite team in college basketball. Like in the non-conference, they do have neutral court wins over UCLA and Texas. They don't have that signature Big Ten win yet, but I think this is a team that has all the tools to potentially make a run at a national title. So they're incredibly good at defending inside. They're second in the country in points per possession allowed at the rim. 10th and two-point field goal percentage allowed, top 75 in defensive rebounding, top 20 in height, so very, very good at defending inside. They're also defending three-point line very well, 27th in three-point field goal attempts allowed, which means they're forcing their opponents into 30, 30% of their field goal attempts coming from the mid-range, which is the highest frequency in the entire country. And the flip side of that, since they're good defensively down low, they're also very good offensively down low. I mean, they're 14th in two-point field goal percentage, 64% on shot attempts at the rim and a top 50 offensive rebounding team. There's just one thing that's plagued them all season long. And this is the one knock against them. And this is the reason why they're 50 to one. They take way too many three pointers and they are shooting horrible from beyond the arc 31.3%. And you know, if you look at shot quality, it, 
doesn't say they're going to actually regress forward a little bit. I mean, their 30 shot quality has them at the saying they should shoot 33%. But for a team that has all the tools, has everything else, but just this one thing, if they could potentially maybe get hot from three point range, they think they can make a run at the title. So Illinois 50 to one for me. All right. So I did a piece Illinois. I, I disagree with, I could see like if you plop them in the final four, they could win it. Like they, it doesn't matter who else is there. I just don't know. I don't trust them. They're so inconsistent. Like you beat, you you beat you beat the brains out of Rutgers eventually when you wake up, and then you go to Penn State and give up a hundred. Um, they just all year it's up and down and up and down. But here a piece I did, and I'll lead this will lead into the piece, lead into my reactions to your picks and then what mine is. If you go back the last twenty years, the teams that have won the national title. They've had an adjusted – now, this is leading into the tournament. You, you never want to go back and come on and look after the tournament because that means they've won six games against quality, you know, quality opponents. So leading into the tournament, the national, the eventual national title winner has had an offensive and defensive efficiency rank, if you add them up, of less than 50 and a top 25 offense in adjusted offensive efficiency. So there's only eight teams that fit that mold right now. Now, that some of them could drop out, some of them could drop in. But that's Houston, Alabama, UCLA, Purdue, UConn, Kansas, Texas, and Virginia. So if you look at those odds, you know, the odds of all those teams, I don't want any part of a team that's below 20 to 1 odds this year just for how wide open it is. So that knocks out Houston, Alabama, UCLA, Purdue, Kansas. You know, Texas and Virginia are right there. You can maybe find them 25 to 1. I don't necessarily know if I – if they have the go-to guy at the end of the game, that's what worries me about both those teams. But I would make more of a case for Virginia than Texas. And then we have UConn, who we're already on a 30-1. to 1. They have the longest odds of any of those teams. Then I went into so this piece on ActionNetwork.com and the Action Network app. It's the Sweet 16, 16 teams that potentially could win it all. Then I went into the other eight teams that I think are could either get to that level or – aren't at that level right now because of, of a reason, right? So TCU, Mike Miles hasn't played a third of their games, right? Lampkin's been hurt. They're still at, you know, 50th offense, 18th defense. Indiana, they're 23rd offense, 36th defense. So they're right there, and they've had injuries themselves, and I think they could play their way right into that top 50. We already have those two. Then you have Arkansas because of the Nick Smith edition, they're at 72nd when you combine them. They're at 50 to 1. I don't trust their shooting. And now they're not, if they're not even going to play them, who cares? You have Baylor, who's at number one offense, number 79 defense. Does the addition of everyday John, does he um does he make their defense better in, in the post? I don't know. It's it didn't look that way against TCU, but their offense and their guards are gonna give him a shot. The problem is they're 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 14 to 1, right? They're it, don't care at that price level. If San Diego State, who's 30, 31 offense, 27 defense, as a longer shot, if you could find 100 to 1. But you saw last night, like, I kind of like it in, as a long shot because Matt Bradley can shoot him in or out of the game, but their offense does scare you a bit. Maybe the Mountain West is overrated as usual. You have Arizona, who's at 53 combined, but they're at 15 to 1. I don't necessarily trust their erratic guards, and I don't have no interest at that price level. St. Mary's was the other one. And I mentioned 34 offense, six defense. So they're not in the top 25 offense, but they're at 40 overall. I And look, they have a, a great coach, which is another thing that I look for. Great game planner, one of the best in off-college basketball. And then a go-to player in Mahaney. 
I just don't know if I trust their offense enough. They go, they go through droughts, and the problem is they play in grinders. No matter who they play, it's going to be – it could be 48, 40. It could be like that San Diego State-Fresno game last night because they're, you know, they're like 355th adjusted tempo. So the variance of, a, of in a game is goes up way, goes up a lot. If they're cold from three and they just run into a team that's just making some threes, you could be gone in the first round. Um, their defense is excellent. The other team that's left, and it's my pick for my future, at 30-1, to one, and, I, you know, whatever, we're going to have three Big East teams if we go my route, but I'm going with Creighton. So their adjusted offensive efficiency is 30. Their defense is 11. So they're at 41 overall. They're in that top 50, five mm-hmm. spots away from that top 25 offense. And they didn't have Kalkbrenner, who had Mono, who's, I think, the best player in the conference. And since he's been back, overall, adjusted efficiency, this is a top five team since December 22nd. They've won eight in a row. They just lost the province. They had a shot to win it in a tough spot, tough environment to play. They just had a shot to win it at the end of regulation. They shot to win it at the end of the first overtime, whatever they lost. And now if you look at their schedule, they only have Marquette left at home as the only tournament team that they play the rest of the way before the Big East tournament. So I don't think this is probably the best price that you'll get them at. They could improve their seating as well, which I don't think is as important this year, but still. And I think that they're a top five to 10 team and we're getting that 30 to one. Like this, this is what I am hunting for. And I think it's the right time to buy them. The only thing I'm worried about is the depth. And that's only if there's an injury, right? They don't, they're not a really deep team, but this is a team that could play in the half court. They're well coached. They have a number of go-to guys at the end of the games, very experienced guards and then you obviously have Kalkbrenner in the interior uh Kaluma I mean I, I really like this team I think they're going to make a deep run and they're very consistent like I'm not worried about them going out in like the first round um which Illinois could do easily um and then St. Mary's maybe because of the way that they play and it might just be a low scoring game and they're off so yeah we, we're we're gonna be big east heavy if we go this direction but I'm gonna go Creighton with a 30 to 1 out there which I bet myself today all right, um, I'll get your guys' reactions. Before, well, do you want to give your inputs first before the votes? You can sway the votes. Uh, Mike, do you have any, anything on Illinois and or Creighton? Well, I'm all over Creighton. Personally, I got him at 50 to 1 about two and a half, three weeks ago. Um, yeah, I so should have bet them then. I was very excited to get that, and I'll get into it in our Big East conversation. Um, I agree with BJ's breakdown of Illinois. I was there in the garden when they beat Texas – they have such a high ceiling for a team at their current price. But you talked about like, is there a reason not to buy? For me, it's simply Brad Underwood. When you look at what he's done in the tournament and then also his overall temperament, this was a borderline mutiny at, you know, in December or late November, I can't remember exactly when he went to the media and was calling out players to be able to circle the wagons and to play well in the Big Ten tournament and then have a magical run in March Madness. I would like to see more cohesiveness from them overall as, as a team. And then, like I said, it's one of the reasons why I can't quite talk myself into Marquette making a deep run because of Shaka Smart's recent history in the tournament. I have to be just as critical of Brad Underwood. So I'm going to go ahead and pass on on Illinois in that spot. BJ, any thoughts on Creighton and or... St. Mary's. Yeah, I also have a piece of Creighton at uh, 45 to 1, so I agree with you that I think anything I think that 30 to 1 mark is probably the the line that you would draw in the sand of when you don't uh, want to play Creighton or not. You know, they're going to be I'm not sure what they are at, 
in terms of bracket matrix, but they're not going to be one of the top seeds. So yeah, they're, they're currently a six. Um, yeah. I think probably their ceiling, if they, like I said, I'll get four. Into this the Big East. Yeah. Four would probably be their ceiling. And that's fine. Like that's not a big deal in this, in this type of NCAA tournament environment, because if they get paired with any of these one seeds, Purdue, Kansas, Alabama, or Houston, like they can beat any of those teams. Right. Especially if they have California healthy. And that's just been, the biggest thing for them the last two seasons, because it happened last year in the tournament where Calpurner wasn't healthy and they fell down and they obviously went out. I think it was in the second or third round. Um, yeah, no, I, I've already played Creighton. So I totally agree with that. St. Mary's is very, very interesting, Mike, because I agree with you that variance comes into play big time with a team like that, obviously, because they play so slow. They're very reliant on scoring inside and they're, they are a very, very good defense. The question always becomes, and same it was the same argument against Gonzaga for how many years is if you play in one of the lesser mid-major type conferences for such a long period of time, when you get to the tournament, does that affect when you have to play one of the bigger teams, which in this case, I don't think it really does because again, how open the field is. So I agree. I would probably play both of those uh, at, at, at both of those numbers right now. And yeah, I agree with you. Mike. it probably feels like St. Mary's is 40 to one is probably the best number you're going to get on them going forward. All right, it's time to vote. Hold up a one for St. Mary's, a two for Illinois, and a three for Creighton. Three, two, one. All right, we're going with Creighton. I, I voted for St. Mary's. You guys both voted for Creighton. We're going to be living on the four or five line, which I <laughs> which love. Which is a good all place our, to live, honestly. Yep. yep. Um, we're going to have like all 30 to ones on the four or five line. And, uh, you know, TCU in 40 to one, Indiana 50 to one. So I love it. All right. Another Big East edition. Speaking of the Big East, that was the topic for our buy sell conference segment this week. Um, I'm going to throw out, I'll throw out mine first. Well, actually, in case you guys brought others to the table, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Mike, what do you got? Buy, sell, Big East. All right. For buy, I'll make this quick because it's the Blue Jays. Um, I think Creighton wins out when you look at like at this point in the season, you really want to focus in on schedule. It's not too forward looking to consider that they go to St. John's, who I think's in the right spot to to play against the Johnnies, having just one two because I, overall they just their backcourt is, is kind of in question for me. They get Marquette at home. I think that's the game that Creighton wins uh, to kind of turn the corner. I'm not sure that they can win the regular season title because Marquette has a red carpet, you know, to the, the Big East tournament the rest of the way, other than that game. And they have a one and a half game lead right now. Then they go to Nova, they got Georgetown at home. They're at DePaul in general, you know, when you look at their eight game winning streak that they just had, here's the one thing about Creighton that I absolutely love in those eight games. They had five different leading scorers. This is what you need to win six games in March madness. Trey Alexander, Nebhard, Shireman, great backcourt. Cal Brenner. You've talked a lot about he's 12th in terms of player efficiency of high major power conference players in the entire country. That's how important he is. They shoot the ball incredibly well as a team, 20, you know, 28th in effective field goal percentage. And now they're up all the way to 34th in effective field goal percentage defense. And they're doing all that without fouling. Nothing's more frustrating than wasting a good defensive performance by sending a team to the line 25 times. They're second nationally in foul shots um, attempted by their opponents per game. You got into it with Ken Palm, 28th on offense, 12th in defense, 345th in luck. So maybe it's time it starts breaking their way, you know, down the stretch here. Um, and then finally, you know, if they can play their way up to the four line, I like McDermott's history in the tournament. He's won at least one game in March Madness and five of his seven appearances with Creighton dating back to 2012. So I like all the elements there. 
And then if you want, I can throw out my cell team, St. John's. They've just been wretched on the road this season, two and seven straight up, three and six against the closing number. They're really bad from the line. They don't offer anything from three-point range. They only make a third of their threes. And they only take 18 per game. They turn you over, yes, it's a Mike Anderson coach team, but they offset that by being really sloppy with the basketball themselves. So in terms of their you know turnover margin, it's razor thin. And finally, I just don't trust their backcourt. You know, Posh, Curbelo, Ade Wusu, like, are any of them going to go big in a game? None of them average double digits offensively. So in crunch time, you saw it against Butler, you know, last week. I just don't trust the Johnnies to get it done. Their remaining schedule, as I mentioned, they get Creighton, they go to Georgetown, then they get UConn in a revenge game for UConn, and then at Marquette, that smells like one and three straight up to me and kind of the end of their season. So I'm going to go ahead and sell the Johnnies right now. BJ, what do you got? I'm going to buy. It feels weird to buy this team, but they are eight and seven in Big East play. Connecticut. Uh, They've just gone through a lot of just bad variants throughout the Big East play. I mean, they came into the Big East undefeated. And now they're sitting in the middle of the conference, you know, after that loss at Creighton, which could have gone either way. But I mean, we're looking at, let's see, one, two, three, four, five losses under 10 points in Big East play. I mean, this is still number 16 in Ken Palm, like we've already mentioned. They're an incredibly good offensive rebounding team, very, very good on defense. And they are really, really good at moving the ball. They're ninth in assist to field goal made percentage. They don't allow you to take a lot of three-pointers. They're very good at disrupting ball movement as well. So it feels weird to to buy Connecticut because of how good their underlying metrics are. But, you know, if you're somebody who doesn't look at them and you're like, wow, they're just eight and seven in Big East play, they have a good schedule coming home. They play Seton Hall at home this weekend, then against Providence at home, St. John's on the road, DePaul at home, and then Villanova on the road. So they could very easily go five and oh to end Big East play and get right back into the national title conversation. So Connecticut is who I'm buying. I'm selling who they are playing this weekend, Seton Hall, who is just very, very good defensively, but a lot of smoke and mirrors on offense. Like they are turning the ball over at an incredibly high rate. They're outside the top 200 in both three point and two point field goal percentage. And really their whole offense is built on just getting to the free throw line, which they're only shooting around 68% for the seasons. And if you look at their wins, it's basically come against the bottom of the Big East Conference. They have multiple wins over Butler and Georgetown and St. John's, but and DePaul as well. And they did beat Connecticut uh, at home by one in a game that Connecticut just absolutely collapsed and was leading at one point by 17 in the first half. So Seton Hall, even though they are ahead of Connecticut in the standings, I think they are a team to sell going down the stretch. They do have a tough schedule. They go, they host Xavier after Connecticut host Villanova and then end the season at Providence at the dunk, which is always a very difficult place to play. So it kind of works out well. Buy and sell are playing each other this weekend. So, you know, obviously won't regurgitate it, but Connecticut will probably be one of my picks this weekend. Yeah. For, for sell, for buy, I'm going to go with, I mean, Nova's still on my radar to buy just because Justin Moore did hit. Like, you know what? One of the things I really want to spend some time on in the off season is figuring out how long it takes someone before they're effectively back after returning from a long extended absence, right? So someone comes back into the fold in, you know, we saw from Arkansas, uh, Nick Smith Jr. He came in, we saw Justin Moore come back in like January, February. How long does it take on average, right? Before you're back up to full efficiency? Is it three? Is it four games? Um, You know, obviously it's going to be different for everybody until they get assimilated back in the lineup, but Justin Moore had his best game last game and he looked great i mean uh and then you know the game before that he was not great the game before that he was great and but you can see him slowly ramping up they'll have a 
and this will be probably my first uh, spot for Saturday. I'll just mention now they're at Providence, who's off that double overtime thriller against uh, Creighton, in which they won. And they also, your province is UConn on deck. Nova played them tight at home. You might be getting catching some value here with Villanova. I'll also be looking to buy DePaul just as a big dog. Um, they got some, you know, they got their center back. Speaking of guys back, um, they got Ongenda back and then Jalen Terry also came back. And then if you look at their schedule, you know, they have Mar- Xavier, Marquette, Connecticut, and Creighton left on their schedule. So you might be catching, I don't like playing them as favorites or a short number, but you might be catching uh, some juicy double-digit numbers the rest of the way with DePaul. So they're a potential buy team for me. And then my sell in the Big East, it's probably going to be, I mean, I I like this team, but it's probably going to be Marquette. They're, I mean, they're 13-3 they're and three in conference in first place. And they just by looking at the schedule this is where i'm going and i think that they're you know now they're all in the first place it's probably the peak of their market value and they're at creighton creighton has revenge i'm also buying creighton then they're home against DePaul. i think the, that number will probably be a little bit too high against the DePaul team getting healthier then they're at butler home against st john's man so there's not any good spots i like for them um i think they're probably at the peak of their market value so I'm going to go ahead and sell Marquette, although it's nothing I'm – not, I'm not, it's not that anti-Marquette. It's more of, okay, I think this is probably that they're at the peak of their value. All right, good stuff on the Big East, who we will be heavily cheering for as a podcast <clears throat> um, come the madness. But let's move on to Saturday. But on Saturday, 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 we paint the I started things off with Nova. That's what I'm going to be looking for Nova against, you know, hopefully getting a nice number uh, over seven and at Providence. Mike, let me throw it to you. What's your first spot you want to bring up for Saturday? I like Indiana and a bounce back, uh, probably laying about five against Illinois. Um, you know, that Northwestern game, the Wildcats did a nice job trapping, you know, uh, trace jackson davis in the post and really limited him in the first half he ended up just being a stat sheet stuffer in the second half of that game but indiana in general going back to bloomington is a huge benefit for them they're the fourth best shooting team at home in the entire country and then as we discussed with illinois great at home 12 and 2 straight up 9 4 and 1 against the closing number on the road they're middling they're 3 and 4 straight up 4 and 3 against the spread and when you look at their last two road games they gave up 81 to Iowa in a loss and 93 to Penn State in a loss. Jalen Pickett gave him 41 points. So this defense has no floor. It can go, you know, through the floor into the basement for how bad the fighting line I can be defensively when they play on the road. And then the final question is, you know, do you want to go ahead and bet the opener with the question of do we get Xavier Johnson back? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? All he said publicly is that he wants to play at some point this month in the regular season. Does that mean it's, you know, on Saturday or not? I would say probably not, but I actually think that's a good thing in terms of Indiana against the spread here because I don't want to see them lose any continuity or, you know, try to waste time working him back into the lineup in a game that's critical for them. And also at, you know, minus five, it's probably a game that's going to be played in the, you know, two or three possession range. So I don't want to necessarily take a step backwards with Xavier Johnson working his way back into the lineup. Yeah, can't go wrong with Indiana at home this year. They've been an absolute wagon there. Big Ten home teams in general have just been red hot. BJ, what do you got? 
Let's go Missouri. Uh, pick them against Texas A and M. Missouri got beat by seven thousand points against Auburn on Tuesday. Great call, stuck. Uh, while Texas A and M again raced another double digit deficit to win and cover at home against Arkansas. I was also in Arkansas, so that was very annoying to watch. Uh, but this Texas A and M team, they're just incredibly reliant on getting offensive rebounds and getting the free throw line. They're top ten in the country in both those and every other offensive category. They're average to below average. Now, Missouri is terrible defensively in both those categories, but they are a top 30 team in points per possession allowed in transition defense. They defend mid-range jumpers really well, and they're very good defending isolation sets, which are all three areas that Texas A&M is a very high-frequency team on offense. In the other end of the court, Missouri is a really good offense. Like They attack the rim at a very high rate. They're shooting 64% on those shots, while Texas A&M is allowing close to 60% at the rim. Missouri, also a very good three-point shooting team, over 34% in conference play, top 40 in the country in open three-point rate per shot quality. Texas A&M, decent three-point defense, but is middle of the conference in three-point rate allowed. Also, the free-throw variance for Texas A&M, and this is why they keep winning these close games, it's just it's crazy. I mean, they are hitting 75% of their free-throws in conference play, but their opponents are only shooting 68% from the free-throw line. So Missouri's only lost two games at home this season. It's been to Kansas and Alabama, who are two of the best teams in the country. So I think this is a good spot for the Tigers, good bounce-back spot after – the loss at Auburn, an extra day rest. So give me Missouri, pick them at home in Columbia. Love that one. That was one I had circled as well. Uh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go, I finally get to say my my cats, Kentucky at home against Tennessee. Yes, we're right back on the Tennessee fade train. I think Kentucky matches up pretty well with Tennessee, as we saw when they went on the road and beat Tennessee earlier this year as 12-point underdogs. I don't think we're going to be getting five or sixes of that line would apply, but I think Kentucky wins this game. They match up pretty well because, you know, Tennessee's an elite defensive team and they take away what you want to do. But Kentucky doesn't really want to do much except, you know, <laughs> use their talent and athleticism to beat you one-on-one. And then they can have Sheba get some offensive rebounds. And so kind of they can give Tennessee problems with their length and athleticism. The same things on the other end. And then most importantly, Oscar Sheba is a liability in like in, in some aspects in, in post defense and, when teams can get them in pick and roll and they have bigs that can shoot. None of those things Tennessee really does. They don't have like, so this is a, a pretty good matchup just schematically for Kentucky. Enormous game for them. I think if you win, you're, you're probably really close to in. Um, and then Tennessee's coming off that emotional win over Alabama. I'm still in the neighborhood of selling them. So yeah, give me Kentucky all day here, Mike. I'll go way down the board here. Vermont laying 10 at NJIT. You know, just scroll, stroll into Newark and walk out with a victory. And I actually say that in a serious tone because NJIT has been great in America East in terms of playing at home. They've either won or taken the top teams in the AE all the way down to the wire. But this number, if you can get it sub 11 and a half, 11, 10 and a half, somewhere in that range, I think that's the way to go. Because Vermont finally turned the corner. They had a very slow start to the season. They're generally considered to be one of the best mid-major programs in the entire country. But it took a while for them to gel Dylan Penn and Finn Sullivan to really come together and start carrying this team. And now when you look at AE conference play, they're second in offensive efficiency, top-rated defense. And that's a huge thing in terms of being able to play good basketball on the road. They have the highest turnover margin in the conference at plus four and a half per game. They rarely ever turn the ball over. And just historically, you know, 
with this head coach, they've been the class of the American East against the spread. Last two years, 23 and 10 against the spread in conference play. So I'll go ahead and finally count on a little, you know, regression from the Highlanders at home for a team that's played so well throughout against the Catamounts who are just, you know, at this point steaming towards yet another regular season title and probably another ticket to March Madness. Nobody strolls into the Estelle and Zoom Fleischer Athletic Center and rolls by double digits, except Vermont this weekend. BJ, what else you got? Let's go Wisconsin at home against Rutgers. Rutgers <laughs> has looked terrible without Mawat Mag. They lost at Illinois, lost at home against a really bad Nebraska team. Now they're traveling on the road to face Wisconsin after they just beat Michigan. Wisconsin offensively, they're either – getting the ball into the post or they're shooting threes and there's really no in between. They are the second highest frequency post-up team in the country. Just good against Rutgers who is outside the top 250 in points per possession allowed off of post-ups. And again, they're still without, they're going to be without for the rest of the season. Their second best big men. Rutgers also 285th in the country in defending catch and shoot three pointers, which is where 24% of Wisconsin's shot attempts are coming from. Also, Rutgers, number one team in the Big Ten at forcing turnovers. It's why they've been one of the best defensive teams in the country. Wisconsin, one of the best offenses in the country at not turning the ball over. So that we would neutralize one of Rutgers' biggest advantages. And Rutgers offensively, they just want to get the ball inside and right at the rim. Like they're sixth in the country in terms of efficiency of finishing at the rim. Wisconsin is top 40 at defending at the rim. But when you look at how Rutgers performs, once the ball gets further and further away from the rim, it's pretty bad. They're shooting just 30% from mid-range, 32% from beyond the arc. Wisconsin, very good at defending in both transition, uh, while Rutgers is also top 60 frequency team in transition. So I like the spot here for Wisconsin. Also, Rutgers, I think, is still dead last in Haslam metrics uh, away from home. Uh, metric. So a uh, good spot here for Wisconsin at home. Uh, they'll likely probably be a three or four point favorite. So I'll play them anything up to minus six. Yeah. They really must bag on the defensive end. He was uber important for a lot of things that they did on that end of the floor. Uh, I'll throw out, let's go with Vandy at home against Auburn. I Auburn's off that. Yeah. You know, huge blowout win. And I still don't trust their guards away from home specifically. They're a little erratic. They take poor shots. And Vanderbilt, you know, they run some of the best stuff in the country offensively, and everything is clicking right now. I think Liam Robbins can prevent, present some matchup problems to Auburn and their elite rim defense. He can, you know, kind of take their big away from the rim. And they're just running such good offense, and it's all clicking right now for Vanderbilt. And who knows? Vanderbilt, you win out, you could, they could find themselves – Maybe on the bubble, but they're playing so well right now. I like them at home here in this spot. Mike, you got any others? I got one more. Uh, going to fade the best team in the state of Georgia, of course, referring to the Kennesaw State Owls. I'm going to go with Queens. Not the borough, but the team, the Royals, Royals. catching 10 on the road. And Queens has lost by 10 points or ten points plus just once the entire season. A 12-point loss on the road to LaSalle. When you look at their losses in the A Sun, they've been absolutely competitive from start to finish. Their their losses by five, nine, one, five, seven, six, four, four. They're always hanging around because they have really good guard play for a team that's in transition up to the Division One level. Kenny Dye and AJ McKee can fill it up. These yeah. two guys can put in fifty points plus for the Royals here, no problem. Their defense does stink. It absolutely is awful. But they already played Kennesaw once this year. They lost by nine. 
And in that game, they ended up scoring, I think, 44, 45 points in the second half. And it's up against a Kennesaw State team that doesn't play super fast. And they're not a great shooting team. They're pretty good by ASUN standards, but not top 100 in any of the meaningful metrics. The last thing that's key for me that kind of tipped this in the favor of taking the Royals, Kennesaw 323rd in shooting foul shots this year, 66% as a team. I think that'll leave the back door open in the closing minutes. And I think the Royals get it done as long as you can get a good number. I'd say probably play it down to plus nine. Yeah, another thing that makes this a even better spot is in the believe it or not liberty and kennesaw state tonight will play for first place in the a sun winner that's probably going to win the regular season title i mean almost definitely because they don't they won't play again and have a one game lead they've only played once off a tiebreaker so kennesaw state's either going to be coming off a huge win or a deflating win regardless it's an emotional game against liberty and yeah i agree those those queen's guards are can be electric and yeah, I would love to get a juicy number there as well in a great spot. BJ, anything else you have? I'll do one more. Uh, how about Arkansas at home against Florida? I mean, Arkansas, obviously off that collapse against Texas A&M, but this is a good matchup for them. They should be able to dominate inside in the glass. Florida dead last in the SEC in offensive rebounding percentage. Second and, to last. And Colin Castleton's done. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Colin Castleton's out for the rest of the season by far not only their best rebounder, but their best player that he's top 25 in the country in block percentage. So Arkansas, who's a top 30 frequency team in terms of finishing at the rim and shooting 60, 66% on those shots at the rim going against Florida, who doesn't have their best big guy is very, very troublesome. Florida offensively was pretty reliant on Castleton. They don't take a high number of three pointers. They're only shooting 32% from beyond the arc, Arkansas top 15 in the country and two point field goal percentage allowed and only allowing 50% on shot attempts at the rim. So this is a perfect get right spot for Arkansas. So I'll play them. Ken Palm has it at minus Arkansas minus six. So I'll go up to Arkansas, anything minus 10 or better. All right. Good stuff there. Hopefully Musselman plays Nick's his lottery Let's hope. Pick some. Maybe Colin but can give him a call. Yeah, seriously. Colin, let, let Musselman know. That'll do it for us. Enjoy your romantic Horizon League evenings and Saturday slates. But appreciate our all of you for listening. Thanks, as always, to Mike and BJ for joining me. Thanks to our audio and video teams on the back end. Make sure you subscribe. Unsubscribe, subscribe, sub, unsubscribe, subscribe. You know the drill. Tell a friend. Tell an enemy. Leave a review. Five-star reviews really help us out. You can say whatever you want. If you've already done one in the past, just borrow your friends, your moms, I don't care, his phone, and leave a five-star review. I will be back Saturday morning, 10.30 a.m. Eastern with the guys from the Three Man Weave. We'll preview the Saturday slate. And then we will be back on Monday, previewing Monday night and recapping the weekend that was. But good luck on all of your wagers this weekend. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.